0: Of you who are joining us online, we're always really happy to have you be a part of Freedom Online. Thank you for tuning in. In that way, we are beginning a new series today. I'm glad that you're here on the holiday weekend as we dive into a new series. It's going to take us through the months of uh, September and October. Uh, The entire series is about just enjoying the goodness of God. Uh, I can tell you, it's funny. People come with different expectations when they come to church. Uh, Some people come from a background and they'll, you know, I'll get feedback from people when they're walking out the door and it's just sort of funny to see what strikes a chord for different people. Some people come from a background where they expect to be beaten up when they come to church. And they like feel better when the pastor has just, you know, been brutal and it's like, oh, preacher, that's what I needed. I like it when you step on my toes. Well, if that's your background, I'm going to disappoint you terribly in the next two months. It's going to be good news from start to finish for the next couple of months as we just home in on really enjoying and resting in the goodness of God. And you may be thinking, how could you spend two months on that? You could spend the next two years just pressing into the goodness of God. And and you may be wondering, well, what's the value of that? What's the, the how-to of that? This isn't going to be a how-to series. Think of it more in these terms. For those of you who've ever been in love, you've ever been married or just in love, You know, it's really easy when you have been in a marriage or in a long-term relationship to go through seasons of difficulties. You know, life just happens. Difficult things just happen. And over time, because life has been hard you'll lose sight of just the wonder of the relationship that you share and just the wonderful person that you get to share life with. And over time, because life's just been hard and you don't feel all the ooh ooh, ooh," that you used to feel all the time, that you sort of think that, that that person has lost something. And what you need more than anything else is just to rediscover the wonder of the person that you fell in love with a long time ago and it's amazing how everything falls back into place and back into perspective when you just rediscover the wonder and the goodness and the beauty of that person well that's how life can be and how faith can be that we just get busy we get hurt we get knocked down we get distracted and we lose sight of the goodness the beauty, the wonder, the power, the love and tenderness of God. And over time, our our idea of who God is and what He's like and what He must think of us, it gets so twisted and skewed by the events of life that we can just come to some really weird places and more than anything else, at that point, we don't need any more how-tos. How to be better at this. How to be more successful at that. What we need is just, once again, fall in love with the wonderful God who has made us and called us to be his children. And I'm telling you, it'll put so many other things back in order when we learn to do that. So for the next two months, I just want you to enjoy Jesus. I want you to just enjoy falling in love with God all over again. And we're going to return again and again and again week after week to one simple little passage. It is, The best-known and most-loved passage in the Old Testament, the 23rd Psalm. I was thinking this morning as I was preparing, I think, I'm not certain, but I think that this is the first passage of the Bible that I ever memorized. My grandmother on my mother's side, she was Mama Mac to us. Her last name was McClure, so she was Mama Mac. And uh, when she would come from Clayton over to our house to visit... We had the old Murphy-style bed, you know, that folded up into the closet and you pull it down. And as a preschooler, man, that was a treat if Mama Mac was coming over because we got to pull the Murphy bed down and got to sleep in the same bed with Mama Mac. Had a little wicker sofa that we'd pull over next to that so that my big brother and I and Mama Mac could all fit together in one bed and a sofa smashed together. And there were two things that you could count on when you slept with Mama Mac. One was a set of feet... That were about thirty degrees below zero. I have never, ever experienced anything as cold in my life as Mama Mac's feet. And the other thing was that you were gonna, in the minutes leading up to drifting off to sleep, you were gonna rehearse Bible verses every night. That was a part of how she passed on her faith to us. We would we'd rehearse Bible verse after Bible verse, just laying in bed with her, and she would always start with the twenty third Psalm The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. We just go on through that entire psalm together. So it's just, I was getting teary-eyed just, just rehearsing the message this morning, just remembering how dear that passage is. It is, it's a powerful, powerful passage. Now, we're only going to get to that at the end today, but it's going to permeate all of the next two months. So if you want to just be soaking in that with me, that's where we're headed The reason I believe that the 23rd Psalm is such a beloved passage is because from beginning to end, it's just about the goodness of God. It's not about what we need to do more of. It's just about what God wants to do on our behalf and how God loves and cares for us. Could could you use some good news like that today? You know, there's a mantra that we do in, in churches all over, and we, we do it here from time to time, and you, you know it, where the, the leader begins by saying, God is good, and the people respond, all the time. And then the leader says, and all the time. You've heard that before. Let's try it again. God is good. And all the time. That's a good thing to say. It's the truth but have you ever felt like at times that rang a little hollow for you? I I was reflecting on that, that little mantra this week and how in my own mind I've twisted that from what it says to what I interpreted that to mean. God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. And how my mind so quickly translates that to because God is good all the time, all the time. Life should be good. Is I mean, you probably don't do that, but my little twisted mind does that. Like, if God is good all the time, then all the time my life ought to be good. And then, with the experiences of life, it starts feeling like, well, you know, we can say that. And I know we're supposed to chant that in church. But it doesn't feel really true because God's being good. But my life ain't always good. So this thing isn't working like it's supposed to work. You ever feel that way? Like, yeah, God is good all the time, but my life ain't so great all the time. So this thing isn't working. To put it another way, we talk about God being good all the time. But is God good when you get really bad news that somebody that you love and care about deeply has a terminal illness? Is God good in those moments? Is God good when you are faced with a realization that your child is a full-on, all-out addict and that you can't fix that? Is God good when you get pink-slipped and you lose your job and you have no idea how you're going to take care of your family or how you're going to keep from losing your house? Is God good when your body is racked with sickness and Doctors can't offer you any hope. Is God good in those times? How good do you feel God is when in your life, personally, you are just absolutely overwhelmed with depression to the point that you don't want to get out of bed, you don't want to see people, you don't want to do life? When you are so overwhelmed with loneliness, fear, or anxiety to the point that you can hardly function, is God good in those seasons? It's easy to say the right stuff in church, but can we just get honest enough to say it doesn't feel like God is good when we are overwhelmed with loss, with sickness. with where The the only thing you can think about is I thought this marriage was going to last forever and now it's ending and life as I know it is over now. And to hear people around you going, but God is good all the time and all the time God is good. Isn't there a part of you that wants to sort of scream, I don't think so when you're going through that because it doesn't feel like you're living in the goodness of God. Is God really good all the time? That's the question of the day as we start up. Is God really good all the time? Excuse me, but I've got to lose two microphones here. Well, we're going to kick off with one simple theme verse today, you'll find it in your outline, you may want to pull those out, and it is the fifth verse of the hundredth Psalm. And I want you to say this one together with me, I want you to say it with some enthusiasm because it is the truth. When we're struggling with the question of how do I know if God is good, let me tell you, when life is bad and it makes us question whether God is good, one of the best things that we can do is to rehearse the truth of God's Word. And to just choose to believe it when life doesn't seem to to tell us that. The 100th Psalm says this. Say it with me. The Lord is always good. He is always loving and kind. And His faithfulness goes on and on to each succeeding generation. I want us to do it again, but we'll do it antiphonally. I'm going to start the sentences or the phrases, and then you finish it good and loud. Ready? The Lord is... He is. And his faithfulness. To each succeeding generation. Yes and amen. When life really stinks, and when the devil is whispering in your ear, God isn't good, he doesn't care, you answer back with the hundredth psalm. God is good always, he is always loving and kind. And in fact, his kindness just goes on and on to each generation. Today, I'm only going to do two things. I'm going to talk to you about what happens when we forget about the goodness of God, when we start living as if we're not convinced that God is good. And we'll spend most of our time focused on that. And then we're going to take just a little bit of time to overview from the 23rd Psalm. Eight specific ways that God wants to demonstrate His goodness in your life and all the good fruit that that's going to bear. So here we go, diving into that. What happens when I forget about, when you forget about God's goodness? Four things that I want you to notice today. Thank you, Nick. I'm going to need that. Thanks, sir. Four things that will happen when you forget God's goodness. And it starts with this. Number one, I start taking credit for the things that God has done for me. You ever slipped into that mode? You don't usually realize it when you start doing it. That I am now taking credit for what God has done for me. But it's easy to do. And it is a trap. It's a trap in a bunch of ways. And ultimately, it causes all kinds of stress and eventually depression. And here's the really scary thing. And it will bring down the judgment of God on your life. When you start taking credit for what God has done in your life. And it is the most natural thing in the world for us to start acting and thinking like, the way that I got to where I am is because I just worked hard. It's because I'm a little bit smarter than the average bear. I did a little extra. I did my homework. I put in the extra time. And that is why I have what I have. It's why I drive what I drive, why I live where I live, why I have these people in my life because of what I have done. The moment you start thinking like that, you are on the the fast and slippery slope to a terrible place. Now, the Scriptures warn us again and again about the danger of starting to think that the good things that God has done in our lives, that we accomplish those things. Jesus talks about in Luke chapter 12 that there was a rich man. He was already filthy rich. And he had just a banner year where his riches just got multiplied. So he went from being a millionaire to being a ridiculous multi-multi-millionaire. And he said that the man looked around and realized, I don't even have enough room in my house and my barns to store all that I have. What shall I do? Don't you feel sorry for people like that? They just can't figure out where to invest all of their money. He said, I know what I'll do. I will build bigger barns. And when I have bigger and more, then I'll just kick back and relax and just enjoy the life that I have made for myself. And so that's what he set out to do. But Jesus said that night, the Lord said to him, You fool, tonight you will die. And then who's going to enjoy all of your wealth? And Jesus said, You need to look out. Because this is how it will be for anyone who mishandles the wealth and the blessings that God brings into our lives. See that guy? He felt like he had all that he had because of what he had done. He had worked harder. He had planted smarter. He had made the right choices. And so now he had such an abundance and he could do with that abundance anything that he wanted to because it was his doing he gave no thought to the fact that the only reason that he was enjoying good things was because there was a good God who had poured out on him so much more than he deserved and his unwillingness to recognize that and to give thanks for that and to live with a heart of gratitude cost him it cost him everything that's a sobering story isn't it that's not a little feel good bedtime tale that's jesus saying you better wake up and realize God is the source of every good thing we have. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 4, asked this question. It's a good question. What do you have that God hasn't given to you? That's a a question to go home and ponder for the week. What do you have right now that God didn't give you? Anything good that you have. And if all you have is from God, why act as though you're so great and as though you accomplished something on your own? Well, I think the answer is pretty obvious, isn't it? We ought not. We ought not to do that. That will put us in a bad place. Paul, in Romans 1, if you go back and read the whole of the chapter, the second half of Romans 1, it is just this very vivid description of the downward spiral that people can fall into from what seems to be a not-such-bad place to just a horrible place where they're doing unspeakable things that they never dreamed that they would ever do. And Paul just paints a picture of how we just work our way kind of down the toilet bowl, just to the very bottom. And he starts out by talking about where we begin in this downward spiral. And in verses 21 and 22, he says this, They know God exists. That's a pretty good description of most of us. Do you believe in God? Oh, yeah, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. They know God exists, but they don't give Him credit for all that He's made, and they're ungrateful. Well, that's not a good thing, but it doesn't sound too bad, does it? They just fail to recognize that He's the one who's done everything good, that He's the one who's given us everything good, and they, they aren't grateful for it. And he says, and then their thinking becomes confused, and their hearts fill up with darkness, And they think they're wise, but they really have become fools. And if we took the time to go on and finish the chapter out, you would see that just leads to the next step in immoral behavior. And it's just the beginning point of going to a place when we start thinking in a way that leaves God out. As if the life that I have is the life that I've made for myself. And the future that I'll enjoy is the future that I will make for myself. Everything you have in life, your health, your freedoms, the strength to go to work, the ability to have a car to drive, a job to go to, you have it because God gave it to you. And and I know we may say, well, I went to school for a long time so that I could have this. I worked hard to get these advances. God gave us the ability to do everything that we've ever done. It doesn't mean we didn't have a responsibility. It doesn't mean we don't have to work hard and get up early and do our part. But we wouldn't have it if God didn't give it. Amen? It's a fact. Acts 12 is another sobering reminder of what we're talking about. In Acts 12, King Herod, this is the same Herod that Jesus knew that he lived under in his adult life. Herod was speaking uh, to a crowd in Palestine and as he spoke, he came out, you know, in his formal royal robes to deliver an address. And as he speaks, it's people who aren't crazy about him, but they do what sly people would do in his time. That they're going to just butter him up with praise. And so, as Herod is speaking, the people begin to cheer and to chant. This is not the voice of a man. This is the voice of a god. This is a god talking to us. And rather than responding appropriately and saying, whoa, 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 no, 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 I'm a man like you. God alone deserves worship. Don't, don't worship me. Herod instead because well, you know, that wasn't half bad. sort of hate to toot my own horn, but beep, beep. You know, he's just, he's feeling pretty good about himself. That, that was quite a speech that I gave. And the scripture says that because Herod let them praise him as a god, And wouldn't stop them. And he took credit as if he were God. That God sent his angel right then to strike him dead. And that is the end of King Herod. God takes this stuff really seriously. He is a loving father. Who delights to pour out good gifts on his children. But it bothers him terribly. When we act as though. This had nothing to do with you. You didn't give me this. Everything I have, I have because I deserve it. We've got a bunch of parents in the room. Parents, you know what that feels like, don't you? When you have done for your kids and done for your kids and given to your kids, and they don't seem to be grateful at all. In fact, I've noticed a trend. I'm curious if you've noticed the same thing. That the kids who have the most done for them and the most given to them oftentimes can be the least grateful children that you ever know that they act like they deserve everything that they've gotten. And it just ticks me off. It ticks me off to see our kids act like that. It ticks me off to see when your kids act like that, I just hate entitlement. I have a feeling God feels the same way. When we act as though we deserve whatever good thing that we've gotten. Now He loves us. But he's determined to get that out of us. And when, when we forget about the goodness of God, we'll start taking credit for the, things, the good things that we have in our lives. The second thing we'll do, though, is we'll stop asking God for help when we lose sight of God's goodness. And that is a big problem when we forget how eager God is to meet our needs and to help us. And so you start depending only on yourself. and Man, that causes awful stress and anxiety. It has all kinds of terrible spinoff side effects from it. God is the one who is waiting for us to ask, who loves to supply when we ask. He's never taxed. He's never overstressed about how He's going to meet our needs. He's the one who more than 20 times in the New Testament says to us, ask me so that I can give to you. I want you to ask. But when we get our thinking a little bit off and we start just believing that life's just about whatever you make of it and you're going to have to do for yourself, you're going to have to come up with your own solutions, you're going to have to come up with good things for yourself, if that's when you, how you operate, you're not going to ask God, you're not going to depend on God. You'll miss God's best. Jesus says to this in Luke 11, verses 10 and 11, Ask, and you'll get it. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will open. Don't bargain with God. Be direct. Ask for what you need. This is not a cat and mouse hide and seek game that we're in. I love that kind of straight talk. Jesus just very plainly says, there's not all these list of prerequisites. He says, you just need to ask. You need to knock. You need to seek because the Father wants to come through for you. He's not playing a cat and mouse game with you. James says, you don't have because you do not ask. And you know, when you get to this place that, for whatever reason, there's a bunch of different things that can lead us to that place where we function as if God's not in the equation, that it's just up to us. When you get to that place, have you ever noticed what it does to your prayer life? You either stop asking altogether, or when you do pray and ask God for something, it sounds like Charlie Brown's teacher talking. Wa wah, wa wa wah, 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 You know, it's just noise. We just start saying trite religious things. Lord, would you lead, guide, and direct, and would you bless and be with, blah, blah, blah. And if it be your will, would you help in this situation? Believing that nothing is going to change because I prayed. I mean, wouldn't you hate to know how many of the times that you prayed that, that the truth of the matter is that you didn't believe, not not one ounce of you believed that your prayers affected what God did or the outcome of a situation. Wouldn't it be sickening to know how many times we prayed those kind of faithless, tepid prayers? The devil loves to get us to that place. He does not fear people who pray like that. People who believe God and I never team up for great outcomes. I just pray when I do pray because it's a a ritual thing to do. Oh, the devil loves Christians like that because they are no threat to his kingdom. But the Scriptures call us to live life in a completely different way. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 4.16 says, So let us come what? come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, there we will receive His mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. How bold are you when you come to God in prayer? How bold are you when you ask? How big or small are you willing to ask God things for? I mean, we just prayed for some pretty big stuff when we started out, didn't we? There's a Category 5 hurricane. It is a monster. It is bearing down on the Bahamas. Is it crazy that we would ask God to intervene? Or as just intelligent modern people, do we just sit back and go, well, it's just going to be what it's going to be. The meteorologist has spoken. Jim Cantori is on the scene. People will die. I'm sorry. Or do we boldly go before God and say, God, have mercy. Have mercy on these people because of your goodness and your power. You're the God who speaks to nature and puts things back in order. God, would you intervene? Do we believe that God hears and responds because we just simply call out in faith? And we trust the goodness of God. Can we trust Him with things like that? I think if we could just be real honest and have a dialogue this morning about this, that a lot of us would probably fall in a place of saying, I believe that in theory, but how do I get back there? Because I know, I've watched it so many times, I've experienced it, I've walked with so many other people through this. There is a progression, and see if you can identify with this. I, I have seen this over and over. There's a progression that seems to happen when a person comes to faith in Christ, And they learn this wonderful truth that we're talking about. You're a child of God. You now, when you pray, you get to... I mean, when it says go boldly before the throne of of God with confidence, you, you can do that because you have been made like Jesus. You haven't been made into a God, but you have been made into a son or daughter of God. You are a joint heir with Jesus. The rights of Jesus are now the rights of you. When you go to God and ask for something, it's like Jesus going to the Father and asking for something. And when Jesus does that, bam, things happen. History is changed. Lives are changed. When Jesus says, Father, would you do this over here? We need this. Would you do it? And we're like, whoo, I like it when Jesus does that because things happen. And when you start out and discover this powerful truth, hey, Forrest, when you do this, man, the Father is ready to jump in. It's like Jesus is talking. And it's amazing how early on in our journey we start doing this boldly and we just end up wide-eyed because it's like, you ain't going to believe this, but I asked and God did it. He did the impossible. And He did it fast. He did it big. It was just, whoo, God showed up. And for a while, it's like everything I pray for, God's just pew, pew. He's just blowing things up. He's putting things back in order. But then some time passes. And you start running into some things where you come and you ask boldly and you believe God and now you're expecting an answer in 3.5 seconds because his track record is good. In the six months you've been a Christian and been praying it's a batting a thousand. But now you start praying for some things and you don't see the power of God just suddenly showing up and lives changed and the enemy destroyed and There starts to be some passing of time where you don't see the fruit of your prayers. And the more that gets repeated, the more you start going, I don't know what happened, but something ain't working. Something seems to be broken. What's up? And over time, what's easy to have happen is we start thinking, somehow this prayer thing doesn't work anymore for me. And so we either stop asking, we stop believing, or we start praying these watered-down, well, Lord, if it be thy will, prayers. We don't see the power of God anymore. We don't boldly go before the throne of grace. What's going on? And how do we get back to a place where we come boldly and we believe God in a big way? How do you learn to trust again when you feel like, this thing hasn't been working. God hasn't lived up to His end of the bargain when I have asked. How do you learn to trust? I want to tell you the simplest fact about that. I mean, this is so simple. The way you learn to trust God again, the way you develop faith again, is exactly the same way that a child learns to trust its parents and learns to trust people in life. It is, it is the cycle of, Of trust, It is the cycle of confidence. And you've been through this cycle thousands of times when you were growing up. It's actually one of the most critical things that ever happened in your human development. And it started in a big way in the first two years of your life. Freud wrote a lot about this, and it was among the few things that he really did get right. That if this is done well, then you're going to grow up to be a well-adjusted adult. And if it doesn't happen right, then you're going to have problems in relationships all of your life. The cycle of trust is very simple. It's got four parts. The first part is a child identifies an unmet need. A child, in its earliest stages, realizes, I'm stuck in my bed and I can't get out. I'm stuck at the bottom of the stairs and mommy or daddy's upstairs and I can't get up the stairs i got a poopy diaper, and I can't do anything about it. I'm hungry, and I can't go feed myself. They recognize an unmet need. The second thing in the cycle that they do is they give voice to the unmet need. They are making an appeal for somebody else to meet this need. When we're infants, we all pretty much did that the same way. We just make a lot of noise. When you get a little bit older, we begin to actually turn that noise into words. But it's still the same effect. We are, we are crying out for someone more powerful than us to come and meet our needs. And that brings you to the third step in the cycle. And that is a parent steps in and meets the need. They change the diaper. They feed you. They pull you out of the crib. They take you upstairs where they are. And the natural fourth part in the cycle is because a need is met, In response to a voiced, here's my need, the child learns to trust the parent. It's that simple. And because of that not happening, I'm just saying this as an aside, but in some of the tragic situations that, that we discover where, you know, like, When the Iron Curtain fell and we suddenly had access to all these former Soviet bloc nations and there are all these orphanages that are just packed with toddlers who are getting pretty much zero attention all day long. And Westerners compassionately ran in and rescued all these kids thinking, oh, it's just all going to work, all going to live happily ever after now. We're rescuing them from these desperate circumstances and praise God people did that. But then they discovered years later, oh my goodness, these little kids that just sat with unmet needs day after day, month after month, year after year, don't grow up into healthy adults. They are so troubled because they do not learn. They didn't, at the earliest stages of life, learn to trust. They didn't discover that if I have a need and I express that need, that somebody will love me and will step in and meet that need that I've given voice to and I now can learn to trust someone else. Well, I want to tell you, there's, there's nothing magical or, or complicated about this. We have to learn to do the same thing with God. We've all got needs. We've got them every day. We've just got to go back to the basic point of giving voice to our needs to God and then simply watching for how God meets that need. And if you've gotten to the point that you don't feel boldness and confidence to go to God over the big things, then I would suggest that you start going to God and voice the small things to Him. Tell Him what your needs are, even just the little stuff. I'm amazed at how much of the time God cares about the little stuff in my life. And you can sit there and write this off as coincidence all day long if you want to. You cannot explain away how many times, even just in the little things of my life, where God just demonstrates His goodness. Like, I mean, here's one of those things I have learned over the years. He's so consistent on I I hate, like crazy, to misplace stuff, to, to lose things that I need. You know, like your cell phone or your keys or whatever. I mean, that just, I will lose my mind. When it's something that I've got to have. And, and you know, I've tried to be really consistent. I always put stuff in the same place. So when it's not there and I can't find it, I just want to pull my hair out. And I will just, you know, want to tear the house apart, tear my vehicle apart. Got to find it, got to find it, got to find it. This doesn't make any sense. It should be here. It's not here. It is, and, and over the years, I've just learned, do not go far down that road. Because when I just want to tear everything apart... It's not here. It doesn't make any sense. Somebody must have taken it. Somebody else must have done something. If instead of blaming and tearing everything apart, if I will just stop and go, God, you know where that is. Would you lead me to that? I can't begin to count how many times, like within the next 30 seconds, he takes me to the thing that I could not find anywhere. It's crazy. And you make up like heaven's really having a four-alarm fire over you, misplacing your keys. Heaven's not having a four-alarm fire over that. Heaven just doesn't have any problem at all going, it's right there. It's been right there all along. I was glad to lead you to that. I mean, a couple of times, you could explain it away. As many times as God does that for me, there's no explaining it away. I mean, you would laugh at the smallness of some things that I've learned to just take to God and how consistently God will go, okay, sure, glad you asked for it. I mean here here's like a ridiculously small one. first time I ever heard somebody share something like this, I made fun of them in my mind, so you can make fun of me as I share this. but we're on vacation last weekend. The only you know touristy thing we did while we are on vacation is we bought tickets to go to a show, and we, we had to drive quite a ways up the coast to get to it and so we've we've already navigated through a lot of traffic at five o'clock in the afternoon or Friday afternoon. We're driving up the four o five like into l a tor- to LA, so you can appreciate. We've been driving for an hour and a half. A lot of traffic. I get a little stressed by that. I'm not crazy about being in that much Los Angeles traffic. So we're going to Hermosa Beach to go to a show that night. And we get to Hermosa Beach, and man, the streets, every direction you look, is just solid cars parked everywhere trying to find a place to park and man just we're circling 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 everywhere we look all of them are special you know every time i start to pull in something 15 minute parking and we're going to be there for hours and so just the longer we look nothing is available and there are lots more people arriving and i'm like we've circled this whole area of town three times not going to find anything and it's like finally you hear the voice of the holy spirit going hmm i think you might want to ask about that i'm like dummy why i've been driving around getting frustrated and stressed we're never going to find a place to park Lord, please, would you just let there be one parking space open up? It is not 15 seconds. And it's like, oh, here we are right at our destination, and there is a prime space, and there's, it's the only space I saw the whole time we were driving that had no time limit on it anyway. I know, how, I know how small and simple and silly that sounds. Okay, you can make fun of my illustration. I'm just telling you, I don't care how small it is. If you care and you're getting stressed about it, Jesus cares. Jesus loves to meet our needs. And I have found that the more that I'll come to Him with the little stuff and just see what He does, the more it teaches me to just trust that He is a loving Father. And if I'll give voice to my needs, He loves to just meet them. And the more that He does that, the more I just learn I can trust Him with this stuff. And when a hurricane comes along, if I've trusted Him with small stuff enough, as small as I feel... I don't feel so crazy going, God, you know that gigantic hurricane that everybody's talking about that's going to blow the world away? I need you to do something about that. I need your hand to intervene so that lives get saved and not feel like, oh, those were wasted words. I mean, why would God do that for me? He's not going to do it for me. He's going to step in for those people that He cares about. But our prayers matter. Forgetting the goodness of God Will cause us to stop asking. David in Psalm sixty nine, he learned, he demonstrated how how to pray boldly, and he said, Answer me, Lord, in the goodness of your constant love, in your great compassion, turn to me. The important thing that I want you to notice in that is this. I think sometimes we we have become convinced that God's goodness doesn't spill over into our lives in the way that we wish for like in terms of answered prayers because we think that God's response is tied to our goodness that we feel like I don't really get to ask for that and get an answer unless I've been a better Christian if I were a better Christian I could probably I could probably have a little clout and get to get that from God by the way, you know how we'll express that? One of the ways that we'll express that thought? I don't think I've been good enough that I could get that from God, but I tell you what, I'm going to ask the preacher to pray for it. Because I bet he's at a higher rank. He's closer to Jesus, and he might could bring it down. Can I tell you something? Jesus just has children. He doesn't have privates and corporals and sergeants and lieutenants and and pastor generals. It doesn't work that way. This ain't the military. This is the family of God. And he loves when his baby girls and his baby boys and his big boys, he loves when any of us just come to him and say Father, I need this and I'm asking for this not because I've been so good that I deserve it but because you are so good that I can trust you with it. It's about the goodness of God. It's not about our goodness. Now I'm going to say one more word just to hopefully try and clear up one other issue before we move on. It is a natural progression that as we, as we mature in our faith, that we don't always instantly get the the answers to everything that we were asking for. That you're going to run into things. As I said, I, I think God intentionally, when He's starting us out, tends to just dump out fast answers in big ways where it's unmistakable that He was it was His hand, and I think He intentionally lets us over some passing months and years run into situations that we don't quickly see the answer. doesn't mean that He doesn't give us any answers, that He doesn't do anything, but that we run into situations where we go, wow, I've been praying and believing God for this, but it hadn't happened yet. And it's not because prayer doesn't work, and it's not because He loves you less, and it's not because God is any less good, but He is moving us toward maturity. And part of maturity is learning how to persevere, and that Just hold that thought as we move into the the third piece in this because it's all tied together. The, The third thing that will happen when I lose sight of the goodness of God is I will stop trusting God in difficult times. David said in Psalm 16, Protect me, God, because I trust in you. I said to the Lord, You are my Lord. Every good thing that I have comes from you. That's what a heart that trusts in the goodness of God does again and again. But when we lose sight of how good God is and how the blessings of God are tied to the goodness of God, not to my goodness, I'll get to the place that when times are hard, I just think it's all up to me. Do you find yourself prone to that mode? I'm a fixer by nature. Any other fixers in the room? Give me a problem and I will fix it. Everybody that raised your hand, you're in the same boat with me. Throw a problem at me. The bigger, the harder, the more I like it in some respects. I'm, I'm wired for that. I'm, I'm wired to, to fix my problem, and I'd much rather fix your problem, because at least it's your problem. I feel like I fixed it anyway. If it didn't work out, well, you should have done a better job with what I told you to do, you know. That feels good for me anyway. When real difficulties come... If I lose sight of the goodness of God, when the difficulty hits, I immediately get into ramp up mode. All right. Here we go. You know, Barney Fife on the scene. What are we going to do? We have got to take care of this. I'm bullet in my gun. I'm ready to face this. What am I going to do to solve this problem instead of going, okay, this is a serious situation. The doctor's report was not good at all. Losing a job, very serious situation, huge financial crisis, very real problem. Instead of going, all right, what are we going to do to fix this? We need a three-step plan. What are we going to do to put this back in order, get the to, get to train back on the tracks and moving again? Is it my job to fix it as a first response? Or is it my job as a first response to go, ooh, this is a serious situation. See what God says about this. I better take this to Him and see what He wants to do and what He's saying in the middle of all this. Here's what Paul said in Romans 5 about these kinds of things He says, We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. That is not my nature. Is that yours? Woohoo! Times are hard. Party! No, He says, We can rejoice when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop perseverance or develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. Boy, doesn't the world need more people like that, with strength of character. Endurance will develop strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. Why? For we know how dearly God loves us. That's the root of it all. The goodness of God, the love of God. There's a simple progression here. He says, you need difficulty. You need adversity. You need situations that don't instantly get fixed. You need situations where prayers don't just immediately, boom, create a solution. Because only in those situations will you learn endurance. I've told you, I go to the gym regularly. Don't get excited about it. I get excited about leaving the gym, but I don't get excited about going to the gym. Jackie's so much more faithful about this. So she's the one who's had to over the years helped me really learn to be more committed to that. And like it it used to drive me crazy, but we need people to push us and you know, whatever I would do in the gym, she would always be pushing me to do more, to try something else. And so like, you know. She's got a trainer, so she does stuff the way it ought to be done. And I'm like, leave me alone. I want to just get in and get out of it. She, you know, she's pushing you to do more, so she's like, you really need to try the A.M.T. You need to get on. You really need a good cardio workout before you do the weights. I don't want a cardio workout anyway. So, start doing that. Finally, I listen to her, and I'm like, all right, I'll I'll get on the A.M.T. every day, and I'll start with that. And get on there, and you see people who are doing that the way it, that it ought to be done, and they're just, man, they're tearing it up. And it's cranked up. I get on that thing, put it on level one. I'm like. I could go all day on this thing. And that's where I started out. Just, you know, I would just every day, I'd just get on there and do level one. And I'm like, I can hang with all these people. You look over at the person next to you, they're on, you know, like level 10, level 12. And I'm like, well, we're going to pretend like that dial did not work on mine. <laughs> but after a while, you know, it just starts dawning on me I would have to do this for three hours to do myself any good. Why? Because there's no resistance it's like boxing at the air you know there's just nothing nothing to it and so over time you learn i got to stay on here longer and i have to increase the resistance it's got to push back it's got to be harder and so now yes years into this i'm like i can't walk in the gym without starting out with 30 minutes on the AMT set on level 10 before i get to do any other exercise because i've just learned i can't get my heart rate up i can't strengthen my cardio if I don't have the right amount of resistance pushing back. Life works that way. If everything goes smoothly for you, if you always get what you ask for the moment that you ask for, and it's just nothing but blessing, blessing, blessing all the time, and there are plenty of people preaching that garbage, like it's just supposed to be nothing but just ponies and and sunshine and rainbows all the time in your life because God just only does that for us. That doesn't work in the long haul. The truth of the matter is, people in your life are going to get sick. People in your life are going to get addicted. There's going to be jobs lost. There's going to be setbacks. Stuff is going to happen. People are going to die. Vehicles are going to break down. There are going to be seasons of abundance. There are going to be seasons where you don't know how you're going to pay the bills. And we need those seasons of difficulty. We need to have times where we pray and we see the heavens open and God just, boom, doing what we need done. And it builds our faith. And God gets glory. But we also need to learn endurance. Because character is built. When we learn in the face of of resistance. When we're praying, Oh God, touch the heart of my child. Change his heart. Break this addiction. Break this relationship that's pulling them down. Oh God, do something claim them, and you're just believing God, you're calling out to God, but month after month and year after year, you don't see it getting any better, and you're tempted to give up, but you don't. You stay on that prayer AMT. You stay on your knees, and you keep begging God, and you keep believing God, when you can't see any change, and you know what's happening You're developing endurance, and endurance is developing strength of character in you. And God is going, that's a son, that's a daughter that's looking like Jesus. That's a son or daughter I can entrust the difficult situations of life with because they do not give up. And it matters how we respond. When we lose sight of the goodness of God, will that circumstances define things for us? And we'll just act like when crisis comes, it's totally up to me. i got to come up with a solution. I've got to fix this. And I don't know any place we're more prone to do this than in our finances. Now I'm going to be really candid with you. This is just right now where we are. Churches almost universally go through... Attendance and giving slumps in the summertime. I mean anybody that's done church that's pastored for a long time knows financially you position yourself to be ready for the summer slump. People travel and they take their pocketbooks with them and you just have to to weather that in the summer. We have we've just gone through a season of just real abundance that allowed us to buy the building that we're in and God's just really been very good to us. But that year of abundance came to an end this summer, and we have gone through one of the worst summer slumps, maybe the worst summer slump I have ever seen a church go through. Like on a percentage basis, it was for three solid months. Our giving just tanked. Now there were some specific things that went on that that impacted that, but regardless of the reason, you know, just a major, major shortfall for three straight months. Don't don't run around and freak out. The church is the bride of Jesus, and He takes really good care of His bride. So don't don't run home and freak out over this. I, I just want you to. Understand that this kind of stuff touches all of us. It touches churches, it touches families, it touches individuals. But in the face of realizing that, you know, there's a part of me that's like, all right, what are we going to do? We've got to come up with a plan. We've got to have steps of what we're going to do, how we're going to increase revenue, how we're going to decrease expenses, what we're going to do to fix this. And thankfully, the Holy Spirit's really faithful, and He's like, whoa, pull the reins back in on that. What's the first thing we need to do? Oh, yeah. Prayer is a good idea. God, what are you saying in this? How would you have us respond to this? And I'm telling you, I was driving down the road. I had had met a pastor at uh, Big Daddy's for lunch, and I'm driving down 32, coming back into town. Lord, okay, I I don't want to do anything at all without hearing from you. What do we need to do to be responsible and to respond appropriately to the need that we're in right now, I feel like the Lord spoke such a clear word. And I, I love it when He doesn't say like pray and fast for six months, and then I'll you know give you this. It's like no, within you know a minute. Felt like He gave such a clear word that He said you're immediately running to all the things that you're going to cut and you know eliminate and reel in to dial back expenses to make sure that we just get this thing fixed. And the word He gave was so clear. He said. You need to step up the generosity of the church. You need to give away even more in this time as a declaration of faith. You need to bless other ministries in a season of need. And everything in you is going to want to go. That's not what you do whenever there's a shortfall. You you rein it all in. And he's like, No. <laughs> that that's what you do when you have to fix it, because your resources are limited. Mine are not. So make sure that that you're more generous than ever through this season and call the people of the church to be generous as well. We have a part to play in this. I share that just to say you can't tell me that every single one of us doesn't run into that same dilemma in our own personal lives and with our own families. You go through seasons where for whatever reason, whether it's a change at work or you just had a bunch of medical bills or the roof had to be replaced or a vehicle broke down or whatever, that suddenly you feel like, oh, big financial crisis. It's really not, but it just feels like in that moment, oh, the, the sky's falling. What am I going to do to fix this? And we try and create our own solutions as if it's up to us instead of trusting in the goodness of God. I belong to God as much today as I ever have. This is Jesus' church as much today as it's ever been. And Jesus is always faithful to His bride. He's always faithful to his ch- the children of God. So I can just rest in that. And whatever He says about the situation, we can do because He didn't let His kids starve. Amen? So when you're faced with difficulty, remember passages like Philippians 4:19, And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs for his glorious, from His glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. So the next time you're in a bind and you are coming up with your own solution of what you're going to dial back, instead of dialing back, how about dialing up the Lord in prayer and saying, Lord, what do you say about this? What do you see and how should I respond? Fourth and final thing, when I forget about the goodness of God, I become pessimistic about the future. I expect the worst. I begin to rehearse the worst. Faith visualizes and rehearses positive God-defined outcomes. That's what faith does. Do you ever just let yourself visualize this? What would God want to be the outcome here in this really difficult situation? Because when I forget about the goodness of God, I just start picturing the worst that could happen. And in the name of, well, I just want to be prepared for it in case it happens. No, that, that's rehearsing the, the wrong outcome. That is, that's building the opposite of faith. That's building fear. Faith. Visualizes and rehearses positive outcomes. David, who faced as much adversity as anybody I can think of, he said this: "I would have despaired. You ever been to the place you? Because I just about despaired. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living." Somebody say yes and amen. Been there. You know what David is saying is: I was at a bad place. I was at a really bad place. And I didn't need somebody to tell me about heaven. I would have given up. It would have broken my spirit if I hadn't been confident that I would see with my eyes the goodness of God right here in the land of the living. You ever have those times when you're just like, don't tell me another story about heaven. I need to know Jesus is going to do something on earth. Heaven's going to be wonderful, but i got some living to do between now and then, and I need Jesus to be in control here on earth. And David said, I would have been in despair if I hadn't been convinced I'd see it here on earth. So here's what he says to us. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. This is what maturity does. It says, even when I haven't seen his hand yet, I trust his heart because I know it's good. Hope is just this. Hope is anticipating God's goodness. Hope is looking at a bleak situation. Hope is stepping into a a black unknown and saying, but you know, God is so good. I just, I look forward to what He's going to work out of this. In the natural, this looks like hell on earth. In the natural, this looks like darkness wins. In the natural, it looks like... Nothing but bad could ever come from this, but faith and hope step in and say, I can't wait to see what a good God does when His child walks through this. God gets glory in that. Now some of you are pretty uptight, because I'm about out of time, and you're going, he's got eight points left to preach. No, I don't. No, I don't. See, I've preached all my points. You ever get to the end of the show and they say, stay tuned for a two-minute preview of next week's episode. That's what you're fixing to get. Your two-minute preview of the goodness of God. Because you said you're going to preach all these weeks on the 23rd Psalm and you hadn't touched it yet. Now you're going to get a two-minute preview of the 23rd Psalm. We talked about what happens if we lose sight of the goodness of God. So let's bring the goodness of God, just a snapshot of it, back in focus. The 23rd Psalm, where we're going to be for the next several weeks. First of all, let me just read it to you. You can follow this in your outline. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows and He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths bringing honor to His name. Even if I go through the deepest darkness, I will not be afraid, Lord, for You're with me. Your rod and Your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me. By anointing my head with oil, my cup overflows with blessings. Your goodness and love will always be with me each day of my life, and I will live forever in your house. I just want to name eight specific blessings that the goodness of God, that He wants to pour out on you, and that we can learn to receive and tap into. We're going to talk about in the next several weeks. The first one is this, that He'll meet my needs when I'm worried. When I'm stressed out, I don't see the answer. We can trust that He'll meet our needs. Secondly, that He will teach me to relax when I'm stressed out. That He is determined to give you rest and to give you peace. Sometimes he's, He has to knock us down to get us to lay down, but He's going to teach us to rest. That He will replenish my strength when I'm exhausted. I, I hear people all the time, you ask them how they're doing. I'm good, but I'm just tired. I'm just so tired. He wants to renew your strength. He'll guide me when I'm confused. One of the most frustrating things in life is to not know what to do next. And He wants to give you guidance. It says He guides me along right paths where I don't have to just make it up. And that brings honor to His name. Fifth, He will walk with me through my darkest and most dreadful days. So many times we fear, what if my worst thing that I ever dream of, what if that were to happen? And we discover that even in the deepest darkness... And you you don't get a pass on on going through deep darkness. Sometime it's coming in your life, but you don't have to be afraid of it because what you discover is even as you're going through it, there is this overwhelming sense of peace and of the presence and love of a good God. And it's like, it's shocking because, okay, the worst thing I could have imagined happened, and yet I've got peace and I know I'm going to make it through okay because He's here and He cares so much for me. Sixth, he'll protect me when I'm insecure. Seventh, and this is my favorite one we'll talk about, is he will publicly show his favor on my life. Man, favor is a good thing. The favorite child gets what the other kids don't get. Most favored nation status means a country gets benefits and privileges that no other countries get. When you got the favor of God, you get what everybody else does not get. And then finally, he'll be good to me no matter what happens. Now the world has trained you to believe that you are totally dependent on your job, what's in your bank account, what's between your ears, to get by. That's what's got to get you by. And it is time for us to retrain our our thinking, to learn to rest in the goodness of God. Jesus is our shepherd. David said, the Lord is my shepherd. Jesus said this in John 10.10, my purpose is to give life in all its fullness. I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus wants to be your shepherd. He wants to be your supply. He wants you to have life to its fullest. Now I want to close on this final thought. I know that there are some people... In the room and some of you who are watching and listening online who feel like all this talk about the goodness of God, that, that that's nice and that's, that's wonderful if that works for you. But somehow I have become disconnected from God because it has been a long time since I've seen anything that looked or felt like the goodness of God. I feel like, yeah, God probably is really good, but somehow... Something put a wedge between us and He has not shown His goodness to me in a very long time. If you feel that way, I am not talking down to you. I think if we're honest, everybody would have to acknowledge at some point in your life you feel that way. Maybe many times you felt that way. The enemy wants you to believe either that God isn't good or He's forgotten you. That He no longer shows His favor and His kindness to you. I want to close with God's word for you, if that's how you feel. Isaiah forty-three, or excuse me, Isaiah forty-nine, in verse fourteen. It begins by saying, "Zion, that is the people of God, say, the Lord has abandoned me. The Lord has forgotten me." If that's how you feel, I want you to hear the response in verses fifteen and sixteen. He says, "Kind of mother." forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion for the child that she has born and we go no of course a mother would never I mean a mother and her own child and he says though she may forget maybe you could imagine a mother crazy enough to forget her own child though she may forget God says I will not forget you see I have engraved you on the palms of my hands Those words were written and spoken 600 years before the cross. Jesus says, I've never forgotten you. You see, I've engraved you right here on the palms of my hands. There's only going to be one set of scars in all the population of heaven. Jesus is going to be the only human in heaven that still bears any scars. He's going to have scars right here from the cross. And if there's ever a question about whether he could forget you and me or whether he loves you and me, he's going to go, oh, Stone, I think of you every time I look right here. It's just a reminder of how much Augustine, it's how much I love you. Every time I look at this, I think of you and how I do it a hundred times over to make sure that you belong to my family, that, Randy, that your needs are met. Carol, that you'll always be taken care of. I've engraved you right here. God's love for you was settled at the cross and he is committed to meet your needs if it's been hard for you to trust him maybe ever or for a while would you just choose today to open your heart to him again to tell him what you need and to just reach out to him he is just itching for you to do that would you bow with me as we turn to him together in prayer God you are good You are beyond what words can express and we thank you for how you just demonstrate your love and kindness and favor to us again and again. Life is hard and sometimes we get beaten down and we find ourselves with with so little faith and we find it hard to trust you. Thank you that you don't give up on us. Thank you that you're a faithful Father that continues to press into us. I pray that today you'd help our hearts to open to you again. And I pray that just in fresh and real ways, you demonstrate your love and your kindness to us again. If you need today to open your heart up, to trust Christ for his forgiveness in your life and to become a part of the family of God, to just for the first time really begin to experience the love and the goodness of God, it's not complicated or hard to do. It just begins with a simple prayer of faith. If that's what you want to do, why don't you just from your heart pray a a prayer that just says this if it's what your heart wants to say. Lord Jesus, I need you. I need your forgiveness. I need your love. I need your help. Would you come into my life? Would you forgive my sins? And would you make a new person out of me? Would you help me to have a heart that trusts you? And would you begin to, to bring some peace and order back into my life? Oh God, thank you for hearing and answering our prayers. If you're a Christian, but you just know, boy, I have I've been living my life as if it were all up to me, and I haven't been trusting good, and I God, and I haven't been really believing in his goodness but i want to open myself up to that would you just tell him that would you just say oh god forgive me for living as if it were all up to me would you help me to trust you would you help me to open myself up to you again would you just begin to show me more of yourself in the weeks to come would you just help me get to know you and fall in love with you again God, thank you that we can trust you with that. We pray this in simple faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi. Thanks so much for taking time to tune in and listen to the message today through Freedom Online. Uh, We would love the opportunity to meet you personally anytime that you're in our area. But if today you heard something that really connected or that maybe you've got questions about, you'd like to talk with somebody or have someone pray with you, we'd love to hear back from you. You can reach us in a couple of different ways. You'll find on the website a contacts link. You can contact me or any member of our leadership directly, or you can call us at the number that you see on the website or at the bottom of the screen now. Thanks again for tuning in, and we hope that you have a great week.